Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about the NBA's communist cluelessness, Trump fighting totalitarian China, Durham expands the Russia probe, and the LGBTQ agenda at the Supreme Court. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five there was a firestorm created, an international firestorm, by a tweet put out by Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey. He tweeted out about the situation, which we talked about on the show many times. In Hong Kong, protesters have filled the streets. Literally millions of protesters have filled the streets for weeks and weeks now, essentially protesting against the repression of communist China started out on a small issue, a particular bill that was allegedly going to be passed in Hong Kong that was going to require Hong Kong to immediately provide to the communist authorities people that the communist government in China wanted to interrogate or investigate. That was viewed as a big threat in Hong Kong. And spanning from that, even though that bill was removed, is not moving forward, the Hong Kong protesters have stayed in the streets. Essentially, they're protesting. They really don't want to become part of communist China. Here, the very wonderful Matthew producer will show you this tweet that caused this firestorm. Again, a tweet by Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey. There it is. It says, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Okay, I don't think that's that wild, but you cannot believe the firestorm it caused. It's really a great springboard for recognizing how far the radical left has succeeded in America in convincing people that maybe communism is really kind of just the same thing or you know not really that different from freedom and capitalism a communist society in China uh, it couldn't be that different because if you're educated in America in the last 40 years and you listen to the American left you don't really have idea, any idea what evil, uh, how much evil communism really is. So to start with, Samori puts this tweet out. The Chinese consulate in Houston then said, issued a statement, they're offended and outraged, blah, blah. They want to have him correct their term, correct the error of his tweet. So dutifully, under great pressure from the NBA, Daryl Morey tweets out, I did not intend my tweet to cause any offense to Rockets fans and friends of mine in China. I was merely voicing one thought based on one interpretation of one complicated event. I've had a lot of opportunity since that tweet to hear and consider other perspectives. Like maybe there's another way to look at the, I, the uh, reason why these people in the streets of Hong Kong and China, Hong Kong protesting China. I have always appreciated the significant support our Chinese fans and sponsors have provided. I would hope that those who are upset will know that offending or misunderstanding them is not my intention. My tweets are my own and in no way represent the Rockets or the NBA. So he's apologizing for a tweet that says, stand with the freedom protesters of Hong Kong. He has to apologize. A series of idiotic statements put out by upper management in the NBA, first trying to soft pedal, say, well, he probably didn't really mean it. Then saying, well, you know, actually we probably should stand with freedom of speech. Let me make something clear about China. China currently accounts 
for 10% of the NBA's revenue. The NBA, the American National Basketball Association, accounts for 10% of the NBA's revenue, a figure many think will grow to 20% before long. On top of that, here the Chinese government, who's outraged by this, and the you know, Chinese consulate in Houston is telling Maury, you better correct it, it's also bizarre to think about that in China, nobody could read his tweet. Because in China, they banned Twitter. Now there are, if you look online, you Google how to get Twitter in China, you get all sorts of hidden backdoor ways. You can probably get to Twitter a little bit if you're in China, if you do this or that. The Chinese government forbids it. And so the idea, they're upset about a tweet no one in their country will see. They're upset because Americans like this guy, this Houston Rockets general manager, are saying, the people of the world should stand with the Hong Kong protesters, stand up for freedom, stand against the repression of the Chinese government. One little statement by the Chinese government in wrapping up today's first five. The Chinese people were not happy uh, with the quasi-ish uh, apology by NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Uh, he basically said, you know, it's not really my job to dictate. We have free speech. You know, we, we don't operate this way in uh, ordering our players or management of what they can and can't say. Here was the Chinese government's response. We express our strong dissatisfaction and opposition to Silver's stated support of Moray's right to free speech. This is the government of China speaking. We believe any remarks that challenge national sovereignty and social stability do not belong in the category of free speech. This is actually the Chinese uh, television network, which is everything is run by the Communist Party to understand there's nothing free in China. It's all run by the Communist Party, but the Communist television network put that out. And, the, and you know, we're still figuring out what the backlash is ultimately gonna be. Uh, the NBA makes a lot of money every year having their a tournament in China. And so now Chinese people are all upset. The government's upset. Uh, they have had contracts suspended. But I just want to focus on, we're going to focus more in just a moment, the idea, the absurdity that we in our country would have people in the positions of authority significant enough to run the NBA that are tiptoeing around trying to say, well, we didn't really mean to say there's anything repressive about communism. We didn't really mean to say that we stand up for freedom in this country. Just ridiculous. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I want to continue though on this story about China and how totalitarian China is and then commend our, our uh, commander in chief, our President Trump, on what he's doing to battle the totalitarian mindset that is in China. Uh, two last things about the NBA just capitulating all over itself in the sports world. The ESPN, you know, that everyone, the guys especially love to watch ESPN. They put a memo, memo out warning their staff to avoid discussing Chinese politics when covering Moray's tweets. Understand what this is. Hong Kong does not want to become part of communist China. Millions, not an exaggeration, millions of people fill the streets of Hong Kong pleading, demanding that they be recognized, not just by the government in Hong Kong, not just by China, but by the world. They are crying out to the world, please understand, we love our freedom in Hong Kong. We don't want to be part of China. We don't want to be subject to the repressive government. 
So there you have it. The ESPN people kind of taking the side of the repressors, not too sure they want to be uh, too much part of this uh, freedom movement. They don't want to have their officials speaking up in favor of freedom. There was a really funny thing. I want to say God bless freedom in America. There is a clip. This is uh, Matt the Wonderful. This is in a, uh, my, it's from Twitter. It's a clip someone put up. So this protester is in New York City outside NBA headquarters. And this is a clip. We got go ahead and play as you would, Matt. Here's his clip. He's got a sign up saying NBA. I can't quite read it. Yeah, NBA stand with Hong Kong. So look at this. This is a guy who works for the NBA. This guy in the suit is telling the guy in the sign, holding the, st- the sign, uh, you need to move along. You can't stand outside the headquarters. Just watch these two. Okay, that's enough of just to show you that clip. It is so hilarious. In America, some guy, some average Joe citizen makes a sign, NBA, stand with Hong Kong. He's standing outside the NBA headquarters in New York holding a sign. Someone who works for the NBA, the gentleman in the suit, came out to say, hey, can you move along, like move down the sidewalk a little bit? Because he's embarrassing the NBA. And the guy goes, no, this is, they have an exchange. He says, no, you know, this is a public street. This is public property. And he's saying, well, you're blocking access to the building. He goes, no, I'm not. He was standing by a solid glass, piece of glass. It wasn't a door. He wasn't blocking anything. It is just amazing how much the NBA wants to somehow circle the wagon and silence people in causing the American public to draw attention to the fact the NBA was kind of more willing to side with China than with their own guy, one of the general managers, who was saying, why don't we side with Hong Kong and the people who want freedom? And if you want to understand just how evil and repressive the Chinese government is, I had a bit of an update on something we've talked about before in this show. China has this ongoing um, growing control of their people, growing control of their uh, people through the use of um, social media points. They have this system where if you do things the way you're supposed to do it, uh, you get more credit. If you don't, you're, you're have, you have a social credit score. Well, China has expanded this now, and they are now starting December 1st of this year. The, and this, even the name of this ministry in China is kind of Orwellian. The Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, MIIT, Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. New rule going to affect December 1st in China. When you, a Chinese citizen, purchase a phone or a computer and you're going to get home and set it up, they are beginning to use facial recognition of the individual purchaser, which you have to register your new phone, your new computer with the government using the facial recognition technology they have. So you have to have a facial recognition scan to prove your identity before you're permitted to install internet access in your homes or on your smartphones. So once they know, the government knows, facial recognition, we know this person lives here and they have this computer, then they can watch everything you go to, every website you go to, every Twitter feed you look at, every email you send. This facial recognition software is going to be is part of their social credit scoring system because the information they gather will then determine 
what you're allowed to do, what, where you're allowed to go, what kind of benefits you can have in society. This, the social credit score thing, to be clear, impacts things like, uh, you, first of all, you get points if you pay your bills on time, or you do volunteer work, or you donate blood. Rewards to citizens that have a high social credit score include discounts on transportation, shorter waits at hospitals and doctor's offices. Citizens with low social credit have found themselves unable to purchase airline tickets, get passports, or reserve anything but the least comfortable seats on trains. China is putting in more and more security cameras all over that country. China is anticipated by the year 2022 to, that they will have in place 2.76 billion, B as in boy billion, security cameras around that country. That means two security cameras for every one person. You talk about living in a totalitarian society, a complete government control society, knows your every move, knows who you've emailed, knows which websites you like to go to, pays attention to it, rewards or punishes you. And then you go back to that statement the uh, Chinese television station issued saying, free speech does not include basically anything that criticizes the government, can't be free speech. These are totalitarians. These kinds of things are why the protesters in Hong Kong are wanting to have nothing to do with becoming part of China. They're, they're why the protesters in Hong Kong, Hong Kong are saying, please world join us, help us, stand up with us, be with us, stand against this repressive government of China. China is a totalitarian, brutal regime. Millions of Muslims have been rounded up and kept in, and they're like called education camps to help them learn. They are concentration camps, millions of Muslims. And people in our country get all a Twitter over Islamophobia because someone uses a word that's now not acceptable or appropriate. In China, they're rounding them up and sticking them in concentration camps. This is a country where every, China, where everyone in America should be cheering on the Hong Kong protesters, should be encouraging them to stand up and refuse to have anything to do with this repressive totalitarian regime. And by the way, on Chinese social media, Part of what the uh, people were putting out, social media used that term very carefully. Everything's monitored, everything's controlled. And so they have a Chinese news service that was comparing and urging their citizens to compare the Hong Kong protesters, who they see as an attack on China, with the 9-11 attacks on America. They're trying to plant the idea that how the world should see the Hong Kong protesters as an attack on China, it's just like the world should see the 9-11 attacks in America as an attack on America. I mean, the absurdity of it, but they're putting that idea out there, it's floating around in their media world as much as people can get access to real media, but that they see this, this Chinese, this uh, Hong Kong free, freedom protests as that much of a threat to their very existence. And it really is for more than just the fact that Hong Kongers do not want to become part of China. That is a problem for them, that the, that the world realizes free people do not want to be part of China. But the bigger problem for the Chinese government is that people within China, aware of the Hong Kong protests, are watching them and thinking, gee, you mean they live in freedom? They get to go out in the streets 
and protest. They get to say, we don't want this new law government. We don't want you to round up our citizens you've identified and, and Hong Kongers do not want to be sent up to China to have criminal charges against them investigated. It's putting that brush fire freedom mindset in the people of China. And this the Chinese government can not tolerate. They cannot tolerate the idea that their own people are going to see that what Hong Kong is succeeding in doing in these protests is not just embarrassing the Chinese government, but really putting the whole world on notice, the whole world looking at it and saying, China, why are you still in this age of advancing freedom, this age of advancing you know, uh, freedom in societies and recognition of the rights of individuals? Why is China still in the repressive dark ages of totalitarian control over their society? This is a huge problem for China. They can't have their people thinking they might taste freedom themselves. So on to President Trump, I wanna mention one other thing about President Trump, and I say that he's taking on China. He's taken on China in a lot of ways. I mean, he's taken them on with, you know, the trade deals. No longer can China just, as, as President Trump has explained, we've talked about it in the show many times, we had trade deals in the past where China just didn't honor them, was stealing American technology, forcing a technology transfer as part of our trade deals. President Trump has upended the Chinese idiocy, the idiocy of the past deals we had and said, no, we're gonna have trade deals with China that actually represent a healthy trade relationship respecting the needs and wants of the American people, our businesses, our manufacturers, our companies, the American people. Trump is bringing to the conversation about America versus China a breath of fresh air of truth. Back to the NBA. The reason, in part, that the NBA could not figure out that they ought to be jumping up and down and clapping to support the Houston Rockets uh, manager, Moray, who put out that tweet about supporting freedom, is because there are too many Americans who do not even grasp the difference between living in freedom, living in America, living in a free market country, and a country rooted in freedom, where we have representative government, we have a democratic republic, those people in the NBA and sadly millions of other Americans do not adequately grasp the level of evil and coercion required to put communism in place. They don't think communism is such a bad thing. You know, communism is just, all it is really is socialism with no way out. I mean, the economic system communists use are socialism. That has been glorified by the American left, by Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, more and more mainstream Democrats floating these socialist ideas. Well, all communism is, is socialism with a gun. Socialism with no freedom. Socialism with no way out. And this is, has become a problem that we're at the point now where we think American citizens were worried they might actually buy into socialism and because they make no connection in their head between socialism and the suffering in, in Venezuela, for example, or socialism and the repression of China. China represses its people because socialism is a horrific economic system that no one wants and everyone tries to flee. And so the more control the government places over the economy, the people in the society, the more force and brutality they must use to hold on to that power. And we have Americans who don't know this, 
who got educated at a time in our schools where we were unwilling to tout the virtues of freedom and free markets and capitalism, unwilling to stand up for how great and unique and special America is, unwilling to condemn other ideas. We, we have too many people, too many schools in our country talking about that kind of moral equivalency of all ideas, and we happen to have free markets, and they have communism, and they have socialism. Hey, it's all one big happy family, and it's not. We've been unwilling to denounce socialism and communism for the evils that they are, which gets us to where we have the NBA cannot actually figure out whether or not to denounce the communist repression, whether or not to celebrate the protesters for freedom in Hong Kong. We have President Trump coming along and actually standing up for American type ideas. I'm gonna to get to this story about President Trump, which I actually, I saw it written about, but I haven't heard much media about it, so I wanna be sure and tell you about this. During the era of the very socialist-friendly Obama administration, and to be clear, the Obama administration in eight years pushed this country further and further left, almost over the cliff of socialism, vastly expanding the scope and power of the federal government, the intrusion of the federal government into industry, controlling through environmental policies or any other reason they could think of, controlling American industry, controlling the American people. We had, and under President Obama, eight years of rapid expansion of federal government power taking control of our, our previously freedom-based society. We had a president nearly pushed us over the cliff to socialized medicine, couldn't quite get there, still would love to do it, still would have his predecessor, love to have the next uh, president coming along on the Democrat side, push us over that cliff into the ugliness of socialized medicine. So, on to Obama, he entered, under President Obama, he signed a 40, 40, 40-year container terminal lease. President Obama's era, a 40-year container terminal release between the port of Long Beach in California, Southern California, and the Obama administration signed the agreement in 2012, giving China, you gotta listen to this, giving China control over America's second largest container port behind the nearby port of Los Angeles. So Port of Los Angeles is the largest, Port of Long Beach, second largest. Under Obama, he signed a 40-year lease giving control of an American port to the, essentially, to the Chinese government. I mean, it was a Chinese company, it has a name, the name of the company is OOCL, Orient Overseas Container Line, which is a subsidiary, a part of COSCO, Costco Shipping Holdings, China-based. Understand China, there's not really much of a thing of private enterprise. When you enter into a huge deal with a huge Chinese entity, you're entering into a contract with China. Obama didn't see any problem. 40-year lease with a port of Long Beach with a Chinese-controlled company, which with, essentially with China. Fortunately for us, President Trump came along and he engaged in a drawn-out national security review of this company that got the lease, the 40-year lease under Obama. So the Trump administration came along, a drawn-out national security review, finally forcing the, oh, the, this uh, Chinese company, OOCL, Orient Overseas Container Line, forcing OOCL to sell its lease. Basically, Trump booted China out of America's second largest port. President Trump 
effectuated that through a review, I believe it was through a review through the Department of Homeland Security, China failed the review, forced to sell their lease to an Australian-based company, which means a freedom-based country, to a country that, whose companies are freedom-based, friendly to America. But it took something like President Trump pushing and pushing to remove this Chinese stranglehold over the second largest port in America. Just think about that. It didn't, I don't know, I mean, worst case, or I should say best case, is that under Obama and his team, no one really thought the Chinese possibly meant us harm, so they were fine giving a lease to cover the entire terminal um, at, at the second busiest container port in the United States, uh, giving the entire control of it to China. You know, that's the best case. They didn't think it was a problem. Worst case is they were fine having Chinese control over America's second largest container port. Fortunately for us, as I say, Trump's team, President Trump's team, the Department of Homeland Security, reviewed it and basically forced China to sell it. They actually sold it, as I said, to an Australian company whose name is Macquarie Infrastructure Partners. The sale was $1.78 billion. This is Trump, President Trump, little by little saying China is not going to gain control of America. China is not going to take advantage of the American people in the trade deals. China is not going to own a strategic port in America. And I will say, folks, I didn't have time to look at it today. I've read this information in the past. I didn't have time to get to it today. But the idea of allowing Chinese government-affiliated businesses owning and controlling land in America, ports and other strategic locations in America is a very dangerous idea. And it only blossomed not just under President Obama, because it was even before that, but China moving into America, buying up big ports, buying up pieces of land, buying up control of America, ought to have alarmed the American people, ought to have alarmed the American government. But we spent too long under Obama and left-wing thinking that we weren't supposed to think of China and communist China or communism as a danger. We're supposed to think as well, you know, that's, isn't this great? This kind of like multiculturalism on the uh, international business level. You know, we're just kind of, we love diversity, inclusion. Sure, why can't they buy? We didn't sufficiently see China as a threat. And as we've talked about in the show many times, we've had speakers on the show uh, interviewed talking about the threat of communist China. Communist China has extreme, has an extreme mission, extreme agenda, a long-term agenda to essentially and eventually be the singular superpower in the world. When you recognize that about China, what President Trump did with just that one deal, that, that port uh, deal in, in, in um, California, we ought to be doing in, in all sorts of businesses in this country, reasserting American control and America first and asserting the protection of American industry has got to mean America pushing China and their interests back out of ownership of industries and ports and, and other possibly strategic locations and businesses push them back out of America. And this is honestly goodness, I think, I mean, just that move alone. And you know, this is not the kind of thing that President Trump, you know, touted and he held a big press conference and demanded accolades. His, his party, his administration in Washington is doing the kinds of things that are just, is in, in a way, as part of draining the swamp 
but it's again reasserting the primacy and the importance of America as a sovereign nation and that we're not going to have a port, a, a vital port in America owned by the hostile Chinese government through their particular business, but owned by or controlled by the Chinese government. This is not savvy. This is not protecting the American people. And speaking of protecting the American people, um, you know, there's a talk in Washington about uh, what Durham, this guy John Durham, uh, who is a U.S. attorney who has been given the task by Attorney General Barr to dig in and investigate the source, the roots of the Russia probe. And let me just back up and say the Russia-Trump collusion, we've talked about many times on this show, and what we, you saw in uh, Attorney General Barr's testimony before, I think it was the Senate, well, Senate committee, months ago, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to dig in to, under, he said, yes, the FBI was spying on the Trump campaign. I'm going to dig in and find out the roots. I'm going to figure out why. I'm going to figure out where and why it started. He has tasked uh, U.S. Attorney John Durham with this, I mean, Bar, uh, Attorney General Barr is working out too, but John Durham is the U.S. Attorney. He's looking into the origins of the counterintelligence investigation into Russia and Trump in the, in the 2016 campaign. The recent and really good announcement out of John Durham was he is expanding his probe. Originally, he was, he was going to be looking into it only up until the time of the 2016 election, like what the FBI would possibly possess the FBI to dive in and begin their just astonishing uh, mission to take down President Trump, to plant a false argument in the minds of the American people that there was Trump-Russia collusion. I mean, this is a, you know, a witch hunt that doesn't even begin to capture, not even a strong enough word. So Durham, was his job was to dig in and find out. What he announced was he's expanding it, uh, his probe to include a post-election timeline. He's now looking at the ongoing conduct inside the FBI, Department of Justice, and if you ask me, the CIA, to figure out what those agencies were doing to continue their attempted destruction or their attempted coup against President Trump. And so in line with his expanded mission, he's hired more lawyers, he's hired more investigators. This is a guy taking his job seriously. He is digging in all over Washington uh, and outside of Washington, finding out how in the world did this thing get started? Two other points before I get to how this ties into the impeachment inquiry. But one is that Inspector General Horowitz, uh, there's, uh, news, I guess, reports out there that his report, remember the inspector general are people, they're not officially employed by the agency for which they are the inspector general. They're not employed by, you know, the FBI or the Department of Labor or whatever the agency is that they are the inspector general for. They're independent. So this guy, Inspector General Horowitz, supposedly, you know, he's been digging in with the same question, how in the world did this whole hoax get started? He's allegedly, his report could be coming out supposedly October 18th, and it is as thick as a phone book. I'm telling you, for those of you who don't know, that's pretty thick, you know, for it. It is a serious digging in, a serious reporting. So you have 
Horowitz report coming out. You have also now cl fairly clear evidence that Bob Mueller lied in his, his uh, testimony before Congress when he said, when he met with President Trump in 2017, you know, he said, oh, I wasn't interviewing to be head of FBI. I was just telling him what the job requires. And now uh, information is coming out from the White House saying, no, actually he was interviewing. That's why he was here, he was interviewing. So he may have lied. So Mueller's on a little bit shaky ground, but the thing I wanted, to, why I wanted to raise this is, you have in Washington, Attorney General Barr, you have U.S. Attorney John Durham digging and digging to figure out who was behind this coup attempt, who was behind this effort to destroy candidate Trump before the 2016 election with just false, planting of false stories, planting of false witnesses, using the FISA warrant process before the FISA court to get warrants to spy, and those FISA warrants were filled with lies. Who concocted the dossier? All of that, who did this within the 2016 election, before the election, and then you have, after the election, you still have Barr, Attorney General Barr, and U.S. Attorney John Durham digging and looking. So this investigation is happening, and that's the investigation to get at truth that is kind of competing for headlines and competing for the attention of the American people with this now announced attempt by Speaker Pelosi and the Democrat-controlled House to move toward impeachment. They want to move toward impeaching the president. And I want to just summarize again a few points I made about this last week so you understand how just uh, lethal this is, how dangerous this is how unjustified this is. We already talked about yesterday that the White House has announced, has just sent a letter through their attorney, an eight-page letter, we went over it yesterday, to the U.S. House saying, we're not participating in this impeachment inquiry because the House, once they gained Democrat control of the House, which happened in 2018 at, the, at the, those elections in November, so starting January this year, the Democrats control the House, they changed rules of all kinds they change procedures, they change rules, the result of which is Republicans have no ability to participate in this process, no ability to call witnesses. The president would be called in this impeachment inquiry without ever having anything, any of the due process rights we consider fundamental to the basic rule of law. The President Trump, if he were to participate in this inquiry and respond to the document demands, he would not be able to cross-examine witnesses, review documents. He would have the advice of counsel. The Democrats tried to set up this impeachment process to carve all of President Trump's ability to defend himself, to exercise due process rights, carve those all out, basically set him on, uh, you know, alone in a corner, corner him with no possible judicial review of their conduct. This is true because the members of the House, you know, run by Pelosi and the Democrat cabal, do not want to hold the vote in the House to launch an official impeachment inquiry. They don't want to do it because they don't want to have their members who live in Trump-friendly areas have to vote for impeachment. They want to launch forward with this inquiry without a vote. So they don't have to put their people on, this, on, the, you know, on the hot seat and have their voters ask them why they voted for impeachment. They don't want to have to go through a process where those individuals who are either uh, who are in a Trump-controlled district or a Trump-friendly district have to explain to their voters. They just don't even want to deal with that. They want to corner President Trump with no due process rights, no right to judicial appeal, no right to do anything but just take it. And 
It was set up in a way so if President Trump and his team declined to participate, which they are doing, they could then, the Democrats could then call that obstruction. So this is the two parallel paths we have in Washington. The Democrats are moving at breakneck speed, having broken all sorts of rules, traditions, longstanding customs. And as the White House argues, it's really a violation of the constitutional separation of powers. They're trying to force Trump into an impeachment inquiry without their ever holding a vote or ever according him the right to defend himself. And Trump not playing ball with them, saying no. So you have Barr and Durham going after the truth. You have the Democrats pushing toward impeachment. And I'm telling you, this impeachment effort of President Trump began before he was even sworn in. You have to grasp that. This impeachment inquiry has nothing to do with what Trump said on the phone with Ukrainian President Zelensky on July 25th of this year. Nothing to do with that. The whole conversation is out in public. He's released a transcript of it. The Ukrainians have said, the Ukrainian president has said on, you know, on tape, I don't have, you know, I wasn't arm twisted at all. Not at all. There was nothing offered. There was no quid pro quo. There was no offer made. There was no arm twisting. In fact, we've been looking into Burisma, which was the whole underlying issue uh, involving Biden's son. We've been, we opened the investigation into Burisma again this past February, already doing it. Trump's words didn't have any impact. We were already looking into Burisma again. And you have Biden on tape talking to America saying, threatening the Ukrainians, bragging that he was threatening the Ukrainians, was saying, we'll hold a billion, withhold a billion in U.S. aid unless you fire this prosecutor who's investigating my son's company, Burisma. The Democrats want to get this impeachment thing rolling and maybe even done before you have Barr and Durham coming forward with what they figure out in their investigation. This is a race to see if they can get the impeachment so far down the path, enough people committed to it, that they are on that train, the train's left the station, before Barr and Durham come up with all the wrongdoing they, I'm sure as I'm talking to you, have uncovered, and so they can dismiss it all, this is just retaliation, this is back of the hand, we're gonna ignore them, you know, they're just trying to support President Trump because we're gonna impeach him and don't listen to them. This is an effort to undermine and belittle the outcome of the Barr and Durham investigations. This impeachment thing is a crock. It is a completely cooked up nothing burger, trying to make something stick so that they can go after Trump for impeachment, which as I say, was really their effort and their stated effort. And many, many elected Democrats, before President Trump was even sworn in, they're gonna find a way to impeach him. Now I wanna get to a poll you might've heard about, Fox News, uh, which is the no longer reliable Fox News, but they issued a, um, reported on a poll that said essentially that they polled registered voters, registered voters in all 50 states, and they chose the representative sample was, you know, based on the state's population. So, you know, they polled fewer people in Rhode Island than, than California. And the outcome of their poll said that 51% of Americans now support impeachment. And I just want to call hogwash on that with you right now. I will say there are Americans who've hated Trump since before he was sworn in. They would have him impeached because his socks didn't match. They'd have him impeached for anything. They don't 
care whether the constitutional standard applies for impeachment. They don't care what the reason is. They want that guy out. There is a segment of American voters who fall in that category. There are also American voters who are too busy working, raising their children, driving to soccer practice, getting dinner on the table, keeping the bills paid to pay that much attention to politics. So the more the Democrats can plant the words impeachment and Trump in the same headline, in the same statement, in the same press conference, in the same speech, they are pummeling that message into the American people. Now, this, this poll appears to have been unsurprisingly, a poll where they, they polled something like 48% of the registered voters they polled were Democrat and only 34 were Republican. So the poll appears to have been intentionally skewed. I don't buy for a moment that 51% of Americans want Trump impeached. I don't even buy that the uh, that if you could do it square on. I, I don't think that the majority of Americans want this inquiry to happen. I think more Americans are waking up to what the Democrats are doing. I think the Democrats are racing down the impeachment track to try to get it moving forward before you have Barr and Durham come out to point out all the wrongdoing on the American left trying to destroy Trump, which will include Obama and Hillary and many people on their team. That is what's happening. But having said that, and having said I don't believe this poll, I want to say something else really, really important about it. The Democrats are, to use Nancy Pelosi's term, deadly serious. They really will remove President Trump for no reason at all. Every one of them can see that what they're accusing Trump of doing is what Biden did on national television and bragged about. They can see this. The Democrats know this. They don't care. They don't care what the facts are. They don't think Trump did anything wrong in that Zelensky call. They are cooking up accusations and labels for this call as though it was the most outrageous and egregious thing ever. There's nothing to it. But please understand, they're deadly serious. If you understand an iota of what the Democrats are up to, I think it's incumbent on serious patriot Americans to stand up for President Trump in a number of ways. There are all sorts of online petitions, you know, stand with Trump, you know, stand against impeachment. Sign them all, send them in. Call your congressman, call your member of Congress and your two senators, whichever party they're a part of or they belong to, and say, don't you dare impeach this man. There's actually talk about some big rally in Washington this spring. I don't know if we have that long, but I'm telling you, the people in Washington need to be afraid to move forward with impeachment. They need to be afraid to. You have Senator Romney, I hate having to say those two words together, that Mitt Romney could be a U.S. Senator, but he has locked elbows with Democrats in the Senate trying to entice the Senate to follow through so if the Trump uh, impeachment were to happen in the House, the Senate could go forward and actually remove him. Do not underestimate this effort. I have to tell you, I think that the American people would be outraged. I don't even want to think about what would happen in our country if they dared to actually remove him. But understand, people like Mitt Romney, or as people call him, Mittens Romney, the just useless, he is the John McCain of the Senate today, useless, you know, patrician, full of himself, arrogant intellectual class, denouncing the president that the people chose and denouncing him when he is smart enough to see Trump has done nothing at all 
to deserve impeachment. My last topic today I want to turn to uh, has to do with the, um, the Supreme Court. And this is a lighter topic, or I don't know if it's lighter, but it's, this impeachment stuff is kind of hold your breath, hold on to America or lose America level concern. The impeachment is. But this issue with the Supreme Court, I'll remind our listeners, I went through this case a few months ago. The very shortest of stories is this. There is a man who, ha- who owns and has owned, has been in his family for a long time, a funeral parlor. A, a funeral parlor, while people obviously you come to, ho- to have a service for your family, your beloved family member, you're distraught, you're upset, you come to the funeral home, and they have, you know, and we've gone through family funerals, I'm sure you have also, you know, the loving conduct of people at the funeral homes is so appreciated, so, so well received when you're the one grieving. So this funeral home director had a guy come to him, a long-term employee, a man who was one of the ones who interacts with grieving families. The man said, hey, you know what? I woke up today, I decided I'm a girl. I'm a woman. I want to dress as a woman. Now, I'm being a little bit flip because I think he actually said he's been thinking about it for years. But unbeknownst to anybody else, he shows up at work, says, I'm coming to work dressed as a woman from now on. And it's a guy. He is a guy. And so the funeral parlor guy said, you know what? You can do it on your own time, anything you want. But at work, we have a dress code. Men dress in suit and tie. Women dress in whatever the rule is. And the guy said, no, I'm going to dress as a woman. Short story, long, or long story short, that is a case before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, the case is called the, the Harris Funeral Homes versus the EEOC, and the case is now before the Supreme Court. But the question is this, is really, really important to get what the question is. The federal law, Title VII, passed in 1964, great, great advancement for America, banned discrimination, outlaw discrimination based on race, sex, and national origin. Basically said you can't discriminate in employment decisions and hiring and, and, and promotions and, and all the decisions you make as an employer based on race, sex, and national origin. The argument this guy who wants to dress like a girl is making through his lawyers at the Supreme Court is that when Congress passed the law saying you can't discriminate based on sex, they really meant gender identity. So even though I'm a guy, I want to dress as a girl, this is what Congress intended to protect under Title VII. I'm a labor lawyer by background, I've litigated cases like this, defending employers in Title VII cases. It is absurd. It's an absurd, stupid lie of an argument. Nothing in that federal law was intended to cover gender fluidity and transgenderism. But we had the argument, I think it was on Monday at the Supreme Court. Quick want to play a short clip. These are protesters outside the Supreme Court. Okay, we can cut it off. What they're chanting is trans women are women. They're basically saying because this guy says he's a girl, he gets to be a girl and therefore he's a victim of sex discrimination. So this is the issue before the Supreme Court is whether or not when Congress passed Title VII in 1964, did they mean to say that gender fluidity or transgenderism or gender identity was encompassed under the word sex? There is not an iota of legislative history or any other indicia that is commonly used by courts for the court to come to the conclusion that sex means gender fluidity. 
In fact, if these protesters really wanted to push this, they need to walk, and I looked it up, they need to walk across the street from the Supreme Court over to the U.S. Congress. It's 0.2 miles away. It's right across the street. And make that argument to Congress to change the law to include in Title VII gender fluidity, transgenderism, gender identity, and they don't want to do that because they know there's no way in the world even a Democrat majority Congress would pass that law. They are trying to force the Supreme Court to legislate what the actual legislature would never, ever do. And now, my friends, at the end of, as I do at the end of every show, I want to talk with you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you on the NBA's uh, communist cluelessness, decades of leftism, media, academia, Hollywood are on display in the NBA China mess. Leaders, including players and coaches of a multi-billion dollar American enterprise, the NBA, have no clue as to what totalitarian communism is and does to its people. They care about ticket sales and TV revenue and merchandise sales and shoes. They don't grasp and they are not grateful for the exceptionalism of American freedom and what is done for them. And so they denounce and shun the one NBA general manager who tweeted in support of freedom. This is a teachable moment right here, but will it penetrate an ignorant pop culture? And then Trump fighting totalitarian China. President Trump understands that China steals intellectual property, guts American manufacturing, uses trade surplus cash flows to build their military, is a massively controlled, censoring oppressive regime President Trump is right to stand with the spirit, you know, stand with America, spirit of freedom, not stand with China. And this whole ridiculousness of President Trump having to cancel a 40-year contract entered by Obama in order to get the, um, in order to give China control of an American port. Thank goodness Trump stood up. Next slide, please. We have Durham expands deep state probe. The impeachment frenzy in Washington is utterly contrived. It is not about actual identifiable impeachable offenses by President Trump. It's about creating a dumpster fire of distraction and justification for the Dems deep state ruling class to fend off the impending findings of Barr Durham investigation. Reports of Durham's expansion of the probe beyond the 2016 election day signals a grasp of the obvious, the coup and the coup plotters began before and continued after the 2016 election and are still going at it today in the contrived formal impeachment inquiry. America's survival requires accountability for the coup plotters. Barr and Durham, please deliver soon. And finally, in the LGBTQ agenda of the Supreme Court, a crystal clear illustration of why originalist judges are important a crystal clear illustration of why the president who appoints federal judges is important. Transgender, transgenderism, gender fluidity were not the issues in the 1964 civil rights legislation. For any judge to claim that in 2019, the intent of the, 20, of the 1964 law was to cover transgenderism would be 100% legislating from the bench. The constitutional method for addressing transgender discrimination issues, pro or con, is through Congress, not via five out of nine people in robes. America needs President Trump to appoint originalist judges who insist that the government operate the way the Constitution demands. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. 
love talking with you every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. So encourage you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. If you're and check out all the things we have there, all the information we have there and the postings on our Facebook page. Love to have you like this page, share this page, comment, love your comments. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe on YouTube, share it with your friends. If you're listening on Twitter, thank you for doing that. Please feel free to retweet this show or any segment you'd like. And thank you so much for listening to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-